Hello friends, it is the first podcast of 2019. Welcome to the IB podcast organization. Today we will be featuring a debate over the government shutdown and border wall featuring Eduardo Castellanos and Cassandra Garza. We will also be interviewing Daniel Guerra, who will be speaking about his personal project. So now we will move on to Myra with our first segment. Hey guys, it's Myra. And today we will be talking about a pressing topic that I'm sure you've heard of for a while now. Yes, that's right, the government shutdown. I will be giving you the 101 or the beginner's guide to understanding the US government shutdown by Donald Trump that began in December 22nd of 2018. First of all, it was a partial federal government shutdown that commenced when Donald Trump couldn't help but notice that the Senate did not pass a budget with the additional $5.7 billion that Trump requested to build as southern border wall he has been promising since his presidency campaign. It is a partial government shutdown because 9 out of 15 of the cabinet-level departments and other agencies are affected. This includes Homeland Security, Transportation, Interior, Agriculture, State and Justice, as well as National Parks and Forests, while other agencies like Defense Department and the Department of Health and Human Services are not as greatly impacted. After being personally asked by a reporter when the government would reopen, Mr. President said, I can't tell you when it will reopen. I can tell you it's not going to be open until we have a wall or an offense, call it whatever you want, a physical barrier. To many, his demand for the wall and the fact that he uses many federal worker salary or jobs is concerning, and many think that him doing this is quite childish. Many also disagree with a completely valid point that if the United States is a national debt as it is, why spend more money? To give you an idea, USA's national debt is the 16th highest in the world according to internationalmonetaryfund.org and its records. As well, the, de the debt is even greater than the gross domestic product of USA, which is the country's annual income. However, Trump has justified his urgent demand for the wall by saying that the country is special. Yes, Mr. President himself said that people should not just walk in, but that they should go through a legal process. Now, one term that might come up in relation to the border wall is the word furlough. In this case, in the context of the federal government workers, it means that they are not expected to return to work or even ordered to remain at home, and they would not earn a wage as well. There are also instances in which federal workers still worked yet did not receive any payment until after the government was reopened. Therefore, many federal workers went without pay for 35 days. On January 25th of 2019, however, Donald Trump officially reopened the government after the partial government shut down for three weeks and proposed a border security deal for both Democrats and Republicans, since neither parties ever came to an agreement about the wall during the shutdown. Mr. President's temporary relief was done in order for those 800,000 federal employees that have not received pay to receive it. Oh, it is also important to, notion, to note that the State of the Union address that was requested of Trump is still very uncertain despite the reopening of the government. See, the State of the Union address is the address that the President is expected to give the Congress information of the State of the Union and recommend to their consideration such measures as he shall judge necessary and expedient. It was expected to be given in the House chamber, a place that Donald Trump deemed fit, of course, and yet this address is a requirement that not doing it would be unconstitutional since it is required by the U.S. Constitution, as stated in the second article, section three, in the first clause. However, Donald Trump has been unable to deliver this address because of the shutdown, 
But in Nancy Pelosi's, the Democrat House Speaker's words, he should shift his focus into reopening the government. What's next for Donald Trump is not sure. He could always issue an executive order or declare a national emergency and redirect the money himself since it is in his power. But as for here at the IB podcast, what's next is Heather and her recent news for the month of January. I'm Myra Gutierrez. Thank you. Next. Thank you, Myra. Um, since we're on the topic of the top topic of government shutdown, I was hoping to tell you all a quick rundown of what went down January 14th in 2019. Many of you, like me, love fast food as much as the next guy. Now, do me a favor and imagine everywhere you've eaten a Big Mac or a Whopper. Just a wild guess, but I'm assuming you've never gotten the chance to eat these finger-licking dollar menus at the White House. Well, lucky for the college football national champions, the Clemson Tigers, they have. Let me rewound real quick. Trump, a fast food lover, claims he paid for this savory meal himself due to the partial government shutdown, which has led to furloughs among federal workers, including those at the White House. Trump told the team gathered Monday in the White House East Room, I had a choice. Do we have no food for you because we have a shutdown? Or do we give you some quick little salads that the First Lady will make? And I said, you guys aren't into salads, so I went out and sent out for a thousand hamburgers. Before you freak out, he actually only ordered 300 burgers for the team. Nonetheless, the Clemson football players entered the White House's opulent state dining room during their Monday visit with President Donald Trump. They were greeted by a sight many likely have never laid eyes on before. Boxes of McDonald's Quarter Pounders, Big Macs, and filet fish sandwiches were stacked in neat rows next to pyramids of packaged salads. The Wendy's girl on her wholesome grin decorated mounds of wraps. Silver gray gravy boats overflow with packets of dripping sauce for chicken McNuggets. On a separate table, Domino's pizzas and french fries repackaged in cups bearing the presidential seal bask under what appeared to be heat lamps. The team thought this was a joke, or some kind of prank, as did the rest of us. But I mean, cut Trump some slack. It's not like this is the first time he's done something completely out of the ordinary. I must say, though, of all the crazy things Trump has said and done during his presidency, this might be the craziest. Let's not forget the fact that at the end of the day, he paid the check. So obviously he had to get some hands on the cheapest food he can find. All jokes aside, the team completely devoured all the food. So guess in the end it was a win-win. True story, bro. Without further ado, I hand it off to Fernanda. Take it away. Hello there, nerds. It is Sosa here. And today I'm going slightly political on your butts. I'm someone who's very interested in politics and love to hear people's opinion on our country's politics, especially now with our current tensions in the White House. So many times throughout our questionable president's time in office, I've heard many people saying that Trump's actions are basically violating what a democratic government is truly about, oftentimes leading toward uh, totalitarian tendencies. Therefore, in honor of this, I decided to take the liberty to do some research on how to spot a dictator on the rise. Now, let's begin. One of the first and early, and may I say obvious, uh, actions taken by someone in power leaning towards a dictatorship is lying. Dishonesty, dishonesty, my friends. Now, politicians are not new to lying. It's practically in their job description, but you'll expect at least some honesty in important issues that deal with your country. It's not too bad if they, if they lie about an accomplishment that they made during these years, their years in college, like, let's say, plagiarizing their thesis. I'm talking to you, Peña Nieto. It's not that, that it's not bad, 
it's stupid just that it doesn't overly affect the stability of a government. Now, Trump, on the other hand, is known for his constant lies to the point that we cannot trust much of anything that comes out of his mouth. Nicolás Maduro, Venezuela's president, is a great example of the type of lies that you need to look out for, besides the fact that he is already kind of a dictator. One current issue that Maduro has been avoiding is the economic crisis that the country is currently under, with inflation rates sky high. People are dying and protesting the lack of food and money, yet Maduro does not seem to be any closer to accepting the financial crisis his country is currently suffering. The second thing to look for is propaganda and control the press. Propaganda is a great way to paint a certain individual or sector in a good or bad light, especially if an individual is in control of the press. A great example of this is Dear Vladimir, uh, president of Russia, who controls what is released by the press, especially because he does not want news to spread about controversial, downright wrong moves he's done in his country. One such controversial action is the imprisonment of LGBT individuals into concentration camps. Another similar example is the imprisonment of Muslim families in China, where they are tortured and forced to conform to strict regulations that prevent them from following their religion. There are not many news about this happening. I wonder why. The third thing to look for is any voter tampering. This is a favorite one of mine due to the whole controversy surrounding the 2016 election polls. It is clear why this is a big warning that a dictatorship or something similar to that is on the rise. I mean, why else will you tamper with votes and not for some selfish gain in power? Surely, it would not be to make yourself lose. There is currently a lot of tension between Venezuela and the US, even with the United Nations, about the recent presidential election of Venezuela. Many know for a fact that Maduro tampered with the votes to the point that other countries, such as the US, decided to get involved. The U.S., being the everlasting hero of democracy, supports a newly appointed president called Juan Guaido, challenging Maduro's hold and power directly. Right now, the U.S. Maduro are at a standstill. I don't know about you, but I cannot wait to see what will come out of this. Finally, the last thing you should look for is that if a leader is being funded by any organized crime, aka the mafia or drug traffickers. The last time this happened was during Batista's reign over Cuba in the mid 20th century when he made negotiations with the US mafia for businesses in, Cu in the country. There were some suspicions that former President Peña Nieto from Mexico was highly influenced by drug trafficking leaders, which as a Mexican myself does not come as a particular surprise to me. This is all for today, but don't just rely on what I say. Go and find out more shady business that our esteemed leaders might be up to. Thank you. Thank you, Myra, Heather, and Fernanda. Now we will be moving on to a new segment featuring Sunidi Jane, who has everything we need to know about pop culture. 2019 has just begun, but there are already some memorable movies, music, and memes that have come out. For example, Netflix released two new movies that have been quite a buzz this year. First, Bird Box featuring Sandra Bullock follows the story of a mother and her two children on a desperate bid to survive after an ominous being drives most of society's suicide. Oddly enough, this movie has resulted in the Bird Box Challenge, where people do ordinary tasks blindfolded, like the family in the movie. This movie has also resulted in a bunch of memes about how in horror movies, people cannot talk, cannot see, or cannot hear, while in real life, I cannot get any sleep due to the IB program. 
Additionally, Black, Mar- Black Mirror bin- Bandersnatch is a new experience for all moviegoers, as the watcher gets to decide for the characters. The story follows a young programmer who begins to question reality as he works to adopt a fantasy novel into a video game. Don't have Netflix? No problem, for there are still more great movies released in 2019 for you thus far. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse follows the story of Miles Morales, who essentially becomes a new Spider-Man while learning how to grow up. This movie is my personal favorite for its amazing animation and homage to the original comics. Also taking place this year is the Golden Globes. It was hosted by Sandra Oh and Andy Samberg, who are, quote-unquote, the only two people in Hollywood that haven't gotten in trouble for saying something offensive. In the Golden Globes, Bohemian Rhapsody won Best Picture, Rami Malek won the Best Actor in a Drama, Shallow by Lady Gaga won Best Original Song, and so many more other brilliant actors and actresses. However, movies are not the only thing that have started strong this year. Recently, on January 14th, Ariana Grande released a rich girl anthem called Seven Rings. She wrote this because, in her own words, it was a rough day at NYC. Her friends took her to Tiffany's, they had too much champagne, and they bought them all rings. While the song is a banger, it is also subject to a lot of controversy. Princess Nokia accused Ariana Grande of ripping off her song, Mine, that was released in 2017. But... Many detective Twitter stands noted that Princess Nokia was also accused of ripping off Kali Uchis. So I'm not really sure who ripped off who, or if it was just a coincidence, but one thing I do know is that Ariana came in 2019 strong with her latest song. Now this month also has spawned some very bizarre moments in meme culture. For some unknown reason, at the end of December and well into the first week of January, many people began making jokes about the Queen of England dying on January 6th. Today, it is January 29th, and she is still alive and well, fortunately. Another thing that happened was that an egg has dethroned Kylie Jenner as the most liked person on Instagram. This egg has racked up 51 million likes in the span of a few days. This far surpasses Kylie Jenner's original 18 million like record. And although 2019 has just begun, I cannot fathom what memes can come from this, and I cannot wait for more exciting movies and songs that will come out. Thank you, Sunidi. <coughs> Excuse me. <laughs> now I will be interviewing Daniel Guerra, a sophomore at IB, who will tell us a little bit about his personal project. Hi, Daniel. How are you? Hi, it's nice to meet you. Can you tell me a little bit about your personal project? Well, my personal project is my personal project was a video that I made to promote IB to end certain stereotypes how IB people don't have lives. Well, I'm not saying that. We study a lot and we work a lot, but a lot of people outside of the school think we just work and work and work when we have a social life. And I wanted, I wanted to end that stereotype. What were you trying to accomplish with your video other than ending stereotypes? Like, what was the process that you went through to make this video? Well, like any filmmaker, I had the process of trial and error. First, I had to ambition what scenes I wanted, what people I wanted, and what, what was the overall, overall message I wanted to show. So I, I just usually I would grab my camera and just go around school. I wanted scenes that look natural and just how Ivy actually is. I didn't want anything script. Everything needed to be natural of how it actually is to portray how really the Ivy community is here at Lamar Academy. And after constant videos, I had around seven hours of footage, and then I had to slim it down to two minutes. So uh, I think I'm pretty proud of my project. 
what aspects of IB were you trying to portray within your video? The how every student, teacher, and staff is really hardworking, the creativity that everyone has here at, at IB. Also, I would say the drive, how people are passionate about something and pursue that here at IB, whether you're passionate about math or if you like masterminds, STEM programs, UIL, everyone has something they're very passionate about here. What was one of your favorite scenes within your video? Uh, probably my favorite scenes are the beefcake ones because everyone just seems so happy and excited to be there. And it, I, don't, I didn't want to have as much scenes as people working, but I added some because we do work a lot. But I wanted people uh, to be excited in the video and beefcake was, everyone seemed happy. And what are your goals with this video? Who will you be showcasing this video to? Well, I'll like to promote this video, go to different middle school with a group of students here from IB, seniors, juniors, sophomores, and freshmen too, and to go to different middle schools around the valley to show the video and talk about a little, a little bit about IB for them to come to IB next year. Thank you. Do you have any other closing remarks about your project? Um, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun working on personal project. It's not as bad as people make it seem. And I feel like personal project really opens up your <laughs> different passions. Like I really like filmmaking now. I'm gonna keep fil creating more videos and yeah. Thank you so much, Daniel. We will now be moving on to the debate portion of this podcast. So introducing our debate topics today is Eduardo Rivas, who will be explaining the conservative and liberal view of the government shutdown and border wall. Okay, thank you, Alexis. So first of all, I would like to start with the Democratic side. So Democrat side supports border security, but believes that the construction of the border wall is an impractical use of valuable resources and an exaggerated action that has too many negatives outweighing the positives. Now for the Republican side, we believe that a border wall is a basic necessity for defense. If you look at Israel, for example, they are, they are a sovereign nation and they have a wall and it's considered to be very effective. And for us Republicans, we believe that some that wall is considered basic defense. In fact, a perfect example that Trump said was that we do not hate the people that, um, that come into our country, but we love the people that are inside of our country. Thank you so much, Eddie. Now, without further ado, we will begin our debate with Cassandra Garza and Eduardo Castellanos. So whoever would like to go first. Um, I believe that walls have never worked, even throughout history. There are more than 50 walls around the world, and they were all built to bar immigrants and refugees. In this new world of walls, many of them are in Europe, and even some are in the United States. Parts of a wall were built by George W. Bush, then construction was suspended by Barack Obama and replaced by more sophisticated surveillance technology. The truth is that walls have never worked well. Not even the Great Wall of China, prevented Mongol attacks, nor did Hadrian's Wall prevent barbarian invasions. Same for the Berlin Wall, which lasted 28 years. It did not prevent the collapse of communism and the reunification of Germany. Sure, walls may ease tension and contain violence in times of crisis. They may even buy some time for diplomatic negotiations, but they do not solve political problems. What they truly do is postpone problems, and sometimes they end up aggravating the problems. The walls are never a solution. It would stif stifle 
economic activity and drain money that's badly needed to create jobs and schools and repair beaten up roads. The future of border security lies in manpower and smart technology, not medieval defenses. That's why they fall down as the Berlin Wall. And when they don't fall down, they turn into tourist attractions, such as the Great Wall of China. If walls do not have not solved problems in the past, why would they solve problems in the present? Especially uh, issues such serious and difficult and complex as immigration. Okay, so first to reference uh, the Berlin Wall uh, that was established and it, was, it came to an agreement by both Russia and Britain in order to prevent Germany from rising back up into power. So it did work. Uh, you c other countries intervening and uh, helping the nation that is uh, destabilized in order to bring down that wall. I wouldn't consider that the wall wasn't effective because it was. It separated East Germany and all those other uh, Baltic countries, and it can it it n didn't contain communism necessarily, but it did show the world that Russia was a power that needed to that should be feared, and that that wall did work. And when referencing referencing China, we're talking about a monarchy instead of a democracy. So yes in those times but in modern times examples that we can see is let's take a look at the european union we see italy we see germany we see we see switzerland migrants in the 2015 uh i'm gonna call it a flood uh of migrants that that came into europe uh poland hungary and the czech republic refused to abide by the the, the european union's uh i get i guess you could say uh laws to where they had to be forced to accept the migrants and the thing is poland hungary and the czech republic uh have border walls as compared to germany italy and all these other nations these nations that did accept the migrants have seen an increase in crime rate they had seen a, a destability in their economy and just overall a, a loss of 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 nationalism and a lot of people nowadays tend to look down upon nationalism because it means to be proud of where you're from but the pro the problem that comes with the migrants is that they tried to establish what they left into the new country and they don't they instead of uh, accepting the values and assimilating into that new culture instead they tend to hate on it and and in a sense kind of try to erase that once prevailing nation that there was. So if we see France right now, all the things about the, the yellow vest, people like to, to divert the truth and they say, oh, it's because of the oil prices and it's because of all of this other stuff, which is complete nonsense. If we see the majority of the protesters are white rural workers, 100% French people, and the reason they're getting mad, yes, it can be attributed to the rise in the gas prices to 59%. It was about 58, 59% in diesel, but and the French government likes to play it off and say, oh, it's to reduce carbon emissions. Well, first of all, we wouldn't, they wouldn't be having such high carbon emissions if they weren't accepting uh, that mass amount of people they are accepting because most of the people, most of the migrants move into these industrial areas and France says you guys could come here to work but then you have to go back less 91% uh, of people 
that go into the all these European nations, they, they go to trial and they, they're told that after they're done working, they have to be sent back to their countries. Only 2% actually end up going back to their countries. So what I'm getting out of this is not necessarily the, that the, the immigrants or migrants are the problem. I'm just saying that everything that is brought with them is the problem. If the if the countries if they're fleeing their countries out of needs like uh, let's see Venezuela if someone's leaving fe- Venezuela because they're being persecuted or someone's leaving Cuba because their family's being threatened yes I can understand that but just having the assi- because where my problem lies is that we don't treat Mexican and Canadian immigrants in the same way that we treat those in Central America those in Central America are given more privilege and are more prone to stay than those in Mexico and and Canada so that, that that's one of my roots in the problems and the other problem is that the problem with the border wall is that people tr- uh, try to put this guilt on the US and other nations that have walls and that are colo- colonialist because all nations were establi- established through colonialism is that people uh, fall to this idea of let's let everyone in because we ruined their country. We took over their land. It's the least we can do. No, the least the, the least we could do is go to their nations and actually help them out instead of bringing them into the new country and only establishing more problems. I'm going to start asking you questions. <laughs> so what would you say is, I guess, the goal with the construction of a wall? You mentioned that it's not that an issue with the immigrants necessarily coming, but the issues that come with all the immigrants. So what is your goal? So one of the goals that I see with the border wall is, yes, there uh, it has been uh, the immigration has uh, decreased immensely in the past five years. In five years, it was about 1.5 million immigrants a year. Now it's down to about 400,000. But See, the problem is these people coming in, they go into our public facilities, they go into public, public, uh, a public schools. We, the, con- the country has to pay for all these other necessities while there are people in this n- within our wall or within our well, river, if what we want to say, within our river that are suffering uh, enough. And I- by allowing these people to come in, uh, a lot of the problems are that uh, they come in and uh, countries to the south of the equator tend to have uh, families in general tend to have more kids in general in the US uh, or ethnically white people they tend to have two one or two kids uh, south of the equator it's more along the lines of four or five more so when they come they it's not bad that they're reaping necessities because yes I understand that they actually need the help they're fleeing for a cause but the thing is people within the nation are suffering so by bringing these in we're o- we're not only putting these people that are seeking help aside but we're prioritizing uh, foreigners before our country and I think that's uh, a problem with losing the sense of nationality that people don't really appreciate their country as much as they should and going back to what the border wall hopes to accomplish well I that for it's just a sense of national security because there are an estimated 16,000 border patrol agents across the US to hold to f- being a border patrol agent is 
I can't say that it's the most dangerous job, but it's not an easy one. It's risk taking. I have an uncle that is a border patrol agent, and on the daily, he has he risks his life on the border. There have been multiple times where he's been shot at, and the idea that all these immigrants are are these peaceful people looking for a better life? Yes, I can say that a good, a large portion of them are, but there are also those that are coming over here and hoping to influence the country in a negative way, as we see in California with the MS-13, where people really got offended by Trump calling them animals, when the reality is uh, a few of them had been persecuted, and there have been instances where they killed, uh, what's it called, police officers after they had been uh, declared... Uh, the word valid oh, or they declared valid for deportation so it's just to kind of n not reduce deportation but make people not go through the danger because a lot of people die in, when crossing the border illegally so it's also by building the wall we will be able to focus on the actual problem which is just the immigration policy because the immigration po uh, laws within the u.s are messed up as it is like there's not enough people focusing in on the on immigration reform and helping those people out so by building a wall we give the nation a we we not only give the nation a chance to rebuild itself and be able to have a more legitimate process in which it could actually take people in but also it prevents like atrocities like this happening like we see a lot of kidnapping a lot of child trafficking adult trafficking sex trafficking drug drug tra trafficking all across the border because it's being dug illegally and these people that don't follow the laws take advantage of these people that are seeking to better their lives and in the end it's not benefiting anyone at all so okay so you're s basically saying that the purpose is national security correct okay if you really want to solve this issue that is coming with immigration, why not fix the legalization process instead of creating a barrier that will only maybe stall and limit a little bit the immigration? But the true issue is in the process that is legalization, getting citizenship for immigrants. The process now is lengthy. Um, and really, for the people that are trying to flee their country because of, I guess, they feel threatened, they don't really have the time. They are desperate. They want to be safe, and they're just rushing here. They pick up whatever they can, and they run over here. This isn't for fun or because they're like, oh, let me go ruin the U.S. This is because of need. And yes, you mentioned that there's some that have this need and because you say this you must also be aware that because of this need they don't have the time to go through this extremely lengthy process and really the system is corrupt not everyone gets accepted and they're not really given a reason as to why or why not um yeah <laughs> So this idea to where a lot of people are coming uh, for asylum seeking, the, the reality of the situation is that the majority are coming over here looking for work. I can, uh, and in the terms of asylum seeking, uh, when fleeing a nation such as Venezuela, Honduras, one of ours, 
or such. Uh, an asylum seeker must accept as- asylum in the first country which offers it. So in the in the case of the caravan, which happened recently, the immig- a lot of immigrant uh, the the Mexican government offered asylum to many of or if not most of the migrants coming over to the U.S. Them declining it is all on them, and then not the U.S. not taking them in is completely out of the U.S.'s hand because take it going. This is just following international law. If an asylum seeking, you must accept the you must accept asylum in whichever country you come in contact with offers it first. The migrants refuse that. They kept on coming. The U.S. declined them, and this is just a sense of the migrants uh, are more than likely now. I want to say in danger because of the all that. Uh, there was an article talking about how the the Mexican cartels over there in the northern regions of Mexico were more than likely the ones that will take advantage of this caravan and the rejection and take them in. And now it's uh, now it's a question of who should be held responsible for the migrants, either Mexico or the U.S. So there are instances where I understand immigrants are actually wanting, they, they have no other choice. My dad is an immigrant from Cuba. He had to come on a raft over here to the U.S. and Florida, has none, known nothing but hard work ever since. Yes, there's a lot of people like that, but he had no other choice. There's nowhere else to go from Cuba. From Cuba, the only way you can really go is the U.S. He goes into Mexico. He gets deported back, more than likely gets executed. There's no other country that can actually help. And that's going back to the legalization process. If we just focus on the legal process, we're not actually tightening our border security because regardless or not, you tell someone, go through the legal process, the majority don't do it. There's a few that do, the few that but I don't think it's fair that while all these other while all the illegal immigrants are living here in the US, there are people that are actually waiting and have gone through the legal process in order to get into this country and they have yet to be accepted. But those that just took the advantage of crossing over the non of no border wall are living over here in basic glory and hegemony and they have nothing to really complain about so another thing is i wouldn't i'd say no one really wants to say to military uh militarize the border no one wants guys on 50 cals and just machine guns gunning down every immigrant that's on the way and i don't agree with that either but if a border wall will prevent something from because trump you you already know he'll take things to the furthest extent possible but if not given the border wall, the, the the likelihood of him militarizing the border will probably take place, and no one really wants to see the bloodbath of a U of a U.S. Army man or a Marine just gunning down a family coming through the border illegally because a wall was refu- wasn't built because the Democrats refused to build it. Now that you mention President Trump taking things to, I guess an unnecessarily I guess large extent would you agree that the shutdown was a logical choice of his was it rational for him to completely shut down the government for the longest amount of time in history in order to attempt getting the funding for the construction of the wall 
Well, the national budget is about four point four trillion dollars. So I that that's just a small fraction. The the wall, just having the five billion is not even a quarter of a fraction of what is is that Trump is asking for. So I. I kind of saw the necessity of holding it so they can reach a compromise to where both the Republicans and Democrats would say, yes, we'll start talking about it. But it was we were in a state to where it was, yes, Republicans were like, we'll take a border wall and that's it. De Democrats were, were not taking a border wall and that's it. And I feel like this this government shutdown kind of not, re not really just opened the eyes but kind of also made – Democrats and Republicans be more lenient to the other side because Trump Trump also came to the realization that yes there were people being hurt by the government shutdown there were federal workers that weren't being paid and then again a few days before the shutdown ended uh the Republicans had passed uh had passed legislation to pay the workers even though the government was shut down but the Democrats uh, refuse that, which I found kind of ironic, compl uh, considering that they were the ones that were complaining that people weren't getting paid. But I just feel like the government shutdown was just an eye opener for both sides. Well, hundreds of people were being forced to work without pay. Hundreds of thousands more were not being allowed to work, although they were paid recently because of the temporary, I guess, pause in the shutdown. Hundreds of thousands of federal contract workers were not being allowed to work, and federal government functions, benefits, and services were also not being provided or were poorly provided. That's the world that we were living in during the partial government shutdown. And while there has been a lot of attention to the pain being inflicted upon unpaid workers and those affected in by unprovided services during the longest shutdown in U.S. history, it has been less noted how unnecessary the whole process has been and that may influence public perceptions of government and the people running it though me i personally believe that okay president trump promised the construction of this wall during his i guess running for candidacy and now that he has been elected he needs to he feels a need to maintain this promise in order of, I guess, to be elected again for his next term. Okay, <coughs> now we will have some closing remarks from both sides. So i just like to end with the statement that I, do, uh, I don't agree with the government having control over everything we do. We should not necessarily trust our government for everything we say this goes back to the time of uh, the watergate scandal with nixon prior to that the country was bound to believe that the government was always on the side of the people that nothing was really being uh kept from them that they w they had nothing else to do but to trust their government but in in spite of that we have come to a realization that the we can't have trust in the government we must rely more on the individuals than relying on the government because in these instances where we rely on the government to fund all these projects for them to fund our education our health systems we just fall to corruption and end up uh and we just end up we, we can end up like nations such as uh cuba will end up like venezuela russia 
there's just so many nations and i just believe that by losing the strong sense of nationality that we once had in the early 1900s and uh, previous to that has can be attributed to all the problems that we have been facing nowadays Um, well, I believe that the construction of the border wall is really not a necessity, even less throwing a tantrum in an attempt to get the funding for it. And I believe that our efforts should be focused on fixing the legalization process and facilitating it so that more people will apply for citizenship legally rather than coming into the country illegally. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. I hope you have enjoyed yourself. Stay healthy, safe, and stress-free. Thank you for hearing the buzz.